Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com. Hey, thank you. It's so fun to be here. I um, have to go on a diet. After all the good food and coffee, you guys have really good food here. I have to tell you something. So I'm, when I first went to Bethel in 2006, Joaquin was um, my revival group pastor and my wife's revival group pastor. And my wife and I met in Joaquin's revival group. We would get just hammered by God together. And now we're married we would just get drunk. That's the best, play, best way to meet your spouse. We made a love connection when we were drunk. <laughs> In the Holy Spirit. And then I was at like 10 years. When these guys all moved here, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles. We had all these crazy experiences to get us to move and so we've been in Los Angeles for 14 months and or right outside LA so in LA County but just outside the city because my wife has a farm girl so no city for us and we moved to LA we bought a cow who was pregnant then she had her baby so now we milk our cow and we have the most wonderful raw local grass-fed milk and cream in the whole area. It's awesome. So it's really cool to be here. Uh, We've been working, uh, Megan and I have been working on the children's ministry stuff for the last couple days, just looking at everything, helping everything. Today I met with the children's, all the volunteers. Some of you are probably there because some of you are volunteers, and it was off the charts incredible. We had a conversation Eddie was like, what conference should we send Megan to? I said, I don't know if that's the best idea. Because conference, like if you go to a conference, they're going to teach you stuff to do. But they can't communicate the DNA of Bethel. And this is, a, this is not a normal church. This is a special place with a special DNA. And so instead of Megan going somewhere, I came here and we got to just have fun. So I love... Yeah. I love children. I love families. My wife and I, since I kind of stopped working in a children's church on a regular basis, I mentor churches, help churches all the time, and help families all the time. But we've moved kind of our direction from church to family because I finally realized the first church is the home and the first pastor's are the parents. And if parents don't get what happens in the church into the home, it's not actual Christianity. It's religion. <laughs> If what happens in here doesn't happen out there, it's not what Jesus intended. Jesus didn't intend this to be something we do. It's who we are. You can't turn it off. You can't turn you off. So we work with families a lot. I'm going to show you a couple things. And I have like 10 sermons to preach to you. So I don't know how we're going to do this. But we'll we'll try. It's a good problem when you have too many things to say. 
Not enough. So this is a book that's out there. I did not write this book, but I found this book, so I take it everywhere, and I sell it. And it's probably going to sell out. This sell, I sell more of these than I do of my own books. Um, but this is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. It's one of the most important messages on earth right now for our children. And here's what it is. It's basically how to talk to kids about porn. Did I just say porn and kids in church? Yes, I did. Because if you don't talk about it, we're all in trouble. You know, when with people, the first thing we, we hear is what we believe to be true, even if it's a lie. So if someone else talks to our children about sex, about gender, about all of that stuff, if someone else talks to our kids first, that will be what they believe to be true. So then if we try to come say something different, they will think what we're saying is a lie fighting against what they think to be true because they learned it first. It would be wise for us as families to make sure we talk first about everything. Especially because... Look, I live in Los Angeles. They're trying to teach young kids crazy stuff. Here, too. You're like the Los Angeles of Texas, I think. I don't know. But there, so this book is for, like, kids, young kids. There's a junior version. I brought both, the, the older version and the junior version. The junior version is actually how to begin to talk about this to your kids who are three years old. That's how important this message is. If we don't talk when they're three, we could be in for a surprise. So I read, these I read these books to my kids. We have conversations about the internet, about good pictures, bad pictures, about the feeling brain and the thinking brain, addiction, stuff like that. And so this is a very, very important book, and those are out there. And then I got some other fun stuff. This is, my wife actually wrote most of this. I just helped a little bit. It's called Win-Win Parenting, um, just cultivating a peaceful home. And it's everything from the eight psychological needs of every human being and meeting those now while our kids are children so they grow up to be psychologically healthy. That's just one part of the book, but it's, it's in there. And then we have... Um, I, I filmed this. It's called Arrows. It's all five-minute videos based on the verse Psalm 127.4 that says, like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And here's what's so awesome. Arrows are the long-range weapon of the spirit realm. Arrows have the ability to hit the enemy long before he even sees us. I might talk about, I might, I have so many messages to preach. I might talk about that. I don't know. Look, way too many, way too many families and churches, not here, but way too many families and churches think all they have is a quiver. So we protect our kids from the big bad world, but we're not supposed to have just quivers. We're also supposed to have bows because the parents are warriors. And so we're supposed to get our children out of the safe quiver and put them in the bow and release them into enemy territory. Wisely, carefully, aiming. Because if we don't release children to do what, they, what God calls them, 
to do and to be, to be arrows, to actually go out and, and destroy the works of the enemy. If we don't release our children, then we're stuck, like most of the church, we're stuck to just use our sword. And so everybody knows we have the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the spirit, right? But the devil shoots fiery arrows at us, and we hold up our shield to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. But if we're not careful, we won't, we'll real, we won't realize that we have arrows too. And we'll live on defense trying to block all the things he sends us, and we wait till he comes near, and then we get out our sword and try to fight him when we could have hit him long ago why do we wait till he's right here trying to kick down the door of our house and then we're like don't worry i have the sword of the spear it's like i don't even need the sword i know how to work with my kids i don't have to wait for him to try to break in my house i already killed him because i know how to work with my kids i get him out of the quiver and into the bow When my wife was pregnant with our first kid, someone was like, Seth, why in the world would you bring a child into a world like this? I said, because I'm going to raise them to change it. Come on, we get on defense way too fast. We get on defense way too easy. We start just getting on defense and not realize like, man, we could take you out. We, got, we can take, like, look at what's back. Do you know what's back there? There's 160-some arrows. They're really dangerous arrows. They're really sharp. But if you keep them in the quiver, it's the same as having no arrows. You could have, you could have 2,000 arrows back there, and if you don't get them out, it's like you have none. I went into, oh man, I don't, Lord, help me. I went into this sporting goods store when I first started learning about arrows. Like, look, I just love arrows. I love that verse. It's my life message. So I could just talk about this, and maybe we're just going to keep talking about this. But we, I love arrows so much, we named our third son Arrow. Like, that's his name, Arrow Hawk. And sometimes when he's a little rambunctious, we're like, oh, it's our fault. We named him that. <laughs> he's wild, and it's amazing. But arrows... I, I, I love this message. I went to the sporting goods store to look at arrows and bows and to learn. Like, Lord, I need to learn about arrows. I need to learn about this. And I go into the sporting goods store, and there's all these bows on the wall, and then there's all these quivers and packages of stuff. And then I get to the place where there's the arrows, and there's all these packages of arrows hung nicely on the rack in the arrow aisle. And I get in there, and I'm like, wow, look at these. Oh, I could, I could grab this pack of three arrows, wow, they're perfectly straight, razor sharp, the little fletching on the end, the knock, like these things are gonna, these are dangerous arrows. And in a sporting goods store, you can grab the arrows, you can walk over to the register, set them on the little um, conveyor belt, 
and then the lady takes them and dink, or it's the guy or whatever, and she takes them and she scans them, and oh, $50 for arrows. Perfectly straight, razor sharp, fly straight, hit the mark, do damage. $50, please. And we're like, okay, here you go. We get out of our car and we swipe it. And while I, while I was thinking about this, I, and the Lord said, most of the church has a sporting goods store mentality. We think, please hear me, I was at Bethel for a long time. I know what some parents think. <laughs> I know what some people think. We think if we take our arrows or if we go to the right sporting goods store, and go down the right aisle, we can pick out arrows that some machine shaped. And we can take them to the cash register, I mean the offering bucket, and we can put in our tithes and offerings. And if we put in our tithes and offerings in the sporting goods store of the church, that the church will actually make our children perfectly straight, razor sharp, fly straight, hit the mark, do damage to the kingdom. And we delegate full responsibility of the spiritual development of our children to the children's church, not realizing that as parents, unfortunately in the Bible, there was no sporting goods store at all. There was warriors who went to the tree and chose a branch and picked off the branch and shaped it themselves. And then they went to the guy who knows how to make arrowheads and say, you know how to make arrowheads. Help me. So you come to church and you go to Megan and say, Megan, you make really good arrowheads. Please put an arrowhead, poison-tipped arrowhead on my child that I've been shaping at home, crafting at home, forming at home, lining up at home strengthening at home, getting them all worked out, all nice, and you put the tip on. And then we go to the right school. See, we do this with school and church. Like, oh, just pay tuition at the nice, fancy Christian school, and they're going to make my kids fly straight, hit the mark. But then we're the ones that don't even realize we have bows. We, we go get our arrows, and we're like, whew. Went to the right church, paid my tithe. Went to the right school, paid my tuition. And I got this quiver, and I just protect them from the big, bad world. Come on, I don't know if you know this about children. You know, Jesus, like, this was not my sermon, but now it is. You know the verse where Jesus is like, let me just find it. I love this part of the Bible. All right. This is Matthew 21. Whew. Matthew 21 is where Jesus is on the donkey coming in. He's, it's the triumphal entry. He's coming in. Sorry, I'm not really pre super prepared because this wasn't my plan. Um, and he comes into Jerusalem. Here's what it says. This is Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of
son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? So here's what's happening. Jesus comes in, everyone's celebrating, everyone's happy, yay, woohoo! Jesus is coming in, triumphal entry, and all of a sudden, he just gets off and he starts chucking tables everywhere, and he starts kicking chairs, and he's flipping everything over, and he's all crazy and rambunctious, and he's flipping all this stuff over. Then... The blind and the lame come to him in the temple, and he heals them. Most of Jesus' miracles did not happen in the temple. They happened in the street. And now they're happening in the temple because he's flipping over all this stuff, kicking stuff down. He's just getting all crazy and rambunctious. And then it says, when they saw that what the, th the great things that Jesus was doing and the children crying out in the temple, they're like, don't you hear what the kids are saying? Rah! And they're all mad. They're all mad. Like, don't you hear the kids and he's like, haven't you read the Bible? This is what's happening. They're like, Jesus, don't you hear what the kids are saying because of what God is doing? Don't you hear what the kids are saying about you? Don't you hear the praise of these children? He's like, haven't you read the Bible? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've perfected praise. He was quoting Psalm 8-2. This is what most people don't realize. Psalm 8-2, it says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. You want to know how to get the devil to shut up? Kids! When kids open their mouths in praise to God, when they lift their voice in praise, the devil loses his. It's like that game we used to play, like, zip your lips and throw away the key. Like, when kids are like, Whoa, in the kids' ministry right now, there's all these whacked kids, healings, all kinds of stuff. They're all like going wild. Yeah, look, this is what's happening back there. All I'm trying to say is that has to happen in your house. That has to happen at home. It can't be only back there. And the beautiful thing I said to the team today, I'm like, I'm so happy that every parent serves in children's ministry because here's what's God, what God's trying to do. He's trying to take the culture that's happening here and teach you how to release it to the kids there so you know how to take it home. The problem at, at when we had, when I was at Bethel, was like we had so many students that were like, single and young and they didn't have any kids so they had no way to take anything they learned home they had no way to take the culture that was happening in the church into their houses and into their kids but it was it was a beautiful thing but we didn't have parents learning it so what happened was we would have parents come up to us and, they, and I'd say oh my gosh your kid was praying for sick people today and they got healed your kid saw an angel and he knew what the angel was doing and we went after we just went after it he saw the angel so we went after it. all these kids are getting touched all these kids are getting healed. Oh my gosh, your kid gave such a powerful prophetic word. And the parents would go, my child? Yes, your child. Are you sure it was my child? Johnny. Yes, it was Johnny. Johnny Roberts? Yes, it was Johnny Roberts. This guy right here that you're taking, he gets prophetic words and ministers to the sick and sees angels and does, leads the room. He led the whole room today. My Johnny? Yes, your Johnny. And I realized, oh my goodness, the parents don't know how to steward what's happening here. 
The parents don't know how to take home what's happening in this room. And we might be able to make it happen and foster it and facilitate and welcome it and actually see God move. But the parents aren't learning how to do this. And that's what I love about here is the parents are all, those are all parents back there watching the kids get touched and get ministered to and seeing miracles happen. And the parents can then take it home. So now they know, I know how to get out my bow. I know how to get out the kids. I know what the kids are capable of. Somebody just came to me today and they said, I see this whole move, gave me this whole prophetic word. It was awesome. It's like all the stuff I dream about, some of the stuff I dream about. I see just like terrorists actually take, um, go in and take kids and train them with heavy artillery and then send and take over villages and take over towns. And just like the terrorists are doing, I see you doing that in a different way, like Holy Spirit terrorist type stuff. And I said, and he didn't know this, but I've been preaching this for a while. The church is finally catching up to terrorists in what they believe children are capable of. The terrorists have known for a long time, if you want to take entire regions, you need to give kids the heavy artillery. Come on, it's just a fact. The only people succeeding in taking territory are using kids. And we're like, just babysit. Someone else take care of them. Please take care of them. No. Man, that was a long thing to tell you about this. So this is five-minute videos. I'm a parent. I have three kids. I'm a parent, and I have three small children. And I know, don't give me some hour sermon. I need five minutes. I need five-minute videos. So it's all five-minute videos. There's a workbook. There's a journal, all this stuff in there. And then if you get those two... Man, Lord, help me. 803. If you get those two, then you get this one for free. And this one I wrote with Bill Johnson. God is really good. This can be my second message of the night because this is what I was kind of planning to talk about. The, the publisher came to me and said, Seth, can you take Bill's book, God is Good, and turn it into a 36-page kid's book? I said, no. I could take one of Bill's sentences and turn it into a 36-page kid's book, but not a book. If you've ever read anything or heard Bill Johnson speak, you know, like, just give me one sentence, I'm good. I'll write 20 books on that. But the Lord told me, he said, if you sign the contract, I'll give you the story. So I signed the contract. I had a dream about the, the lily and the sparrow. The lily and lily, you know, consider the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field, how they neither sow nor reap, toil nor spin, yet the Lord takes care of them. And it's, the whole point is Matthew 6. It's about don't worry. Don't worry. So the story is about don't worry. And Sparrow flies around the whole, the whole forest trying to solve all the problems in the forest, trying to solve one problem. And then he gets to the end and he realizes the problem was already solved. But that's a, I don't want to tell you the whole thing. And so if you buy the first two, you get this one. Is there one of the single moms I could just give the whole bundle to, yeah, right there, I see you, come here, come up here, or Eddie, will you take that to her? Here, you can have this one too, here, just have this one too, you just get them all. Come on, 
I'm so happy what's happening here. When we were driving here, I saw, you know how like Austin has signs that say Austin all over the place? Like something Austin, Austin something, like there's just Austin everywhere. And when I was, when we were driving here to church, I saw a sign that said, I don't know, car dealer of Austin or whatever. And I realized, I saw the word Austin, but I saw the word autism. And I, I realized the letters in the two words are almost the exact same, except a couple letters are mixed up. And the N in Austin is actually M in autism. And I felt like the Lord was putting something special on this house to heal special needs, to heal autism, to heal Down syndrome, to see all this kind of stuff to see breakthrough in the minds of children, in the minds of kids, in the minds of special needs. And I felt like, Megan, you're probably going to have to have a special needs class soon. That's, I don't know where you're going to put it because you're already full, but I feel like you're supposed to get ready for that kind of thing because people are going to come here with special needs because Austin has something special for autism. And, and God's going to just rearrange a couple things in heads, change a couple things, and kids are going to go totally, totally like back to normal. Come on. I'm doing good. You know, and then another thing. Joaquin's like, a prophet said, focus on communion. Did you know two and a half years before the Brownsville revival, the Brownsville revival happened in Florida and the whole planet came. And it was like people were getting saved by the hundreds and by the thousands. And like we have a lot of friends that were greatly impacted by the Brownsville revival, and it was off the charts. Two and a half years before the Brownsville revival happened, a rabbi came and taught them on communion, and while he was teaching them on communion, he said, soon there's going to be a movement that happens here, and something's going to open up, and people are going to come from all around the world, and he prophesied two and a half years before Brownsville about what happened, and he prophesied it while he was teaching on communion, because he taught them for two and a half hours on communion. A Jewish rabbi explain this whole thing and for every week after he taught them for two and a half years they took communion every week and then one day brownsville happened and it just exploded and the whole planet came so i think it's a really smart idea to just focus on communion i think that's good you never know what will happen all right are you good if i just kind of like do these little ramble things we're all family here. I can just, we can just talk. Um, I love that song. We were singing, um, there you go, lifting my load again. There you go, lifting my load again. Like, man, that's so what I wanted to talk about was that whole, from the book, the Matthew 6, and do not worry. You know, three times in Matthew 6, Jesus says, do not worry do not worry, do not worry. This is Matthew 6, 25. He says, therefore, now every time Jesus says therefore, he's connecting what he's about to say to something he just said. So I just said a bunch of stuff. Because of that, I want to tell you this. So what he's about to say right now, he's connecting to what he just said. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Here's what he said right before it. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What's he saying when the first time he says, therefore, do not worry, he's saying, listen, if we worry, we're actually in jeopardy of serving a different master. 
when we worry about f- clothing, housing, bo- our body, our food, things like that, we're actually in jeopardy of serving mammon, the god of money. Hello. You guys are really quiet all of a sudden. See, sometimes we just read little chunks of the Bible and we don't realize this is one giant, this is one giant sermon right here. This is like a two-chapter, three-chapter sermon from Jesus, and the whole thought is connected. I mean, unless he's like me, and he's like preaching three sermons in one. He's, but somehow they're all going to connect. But he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Here's what else he says right before that. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that light? When Jesus says, do not worry, he's connecting it to that. Worry actually dims our light. Worry actually keeps us from being the bright, shining people we're supposed to be. Worry actually darkens the way we see it darkens our eyes it keeps us worry keeps us in the dark here's what else he connects it to don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal you know what worry does worry limits us to worldly to seeking after worldly things When we worry, we limit our perspective down to earth, not to heaven. We limit ourselves to just earthly treasures, not heavenly treasures. When we worry, he says it three times. Don't worry. Why do you worry? Don't worry. No, he says it four times. Then he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know what that means? If we're worrying, we're not seeking. Worry actually stops us from seeking the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. Worry prevents all these things from being added unto us because worry blocks us from seeking the kingdom. The reason it says, but seek first, is because our default is supposed to be seek, then you don't worry. But most of us default to worry, and then we don't seek. The automatic response should be, oh, seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things I was going to worry about are added to me, and I don't have to worry because I didn't worry. I seeked the kingdom. Come on, this is good. We were singing that song. I just wrote this the other night. I've been brewing on this whole do not worry thing. Like the next book I'm writing, I'm writing two books right now. The next one we're going to come out with is called The Worry-Free Parent. You know, the word worry in English comes from an old English word, weirgan, or something like that. W-Y-R-G-A-N. And here's what the word actually means. To strangle. Worry strangles what God is trying to do in our lives. Worry pinches off. You know, the Bible says, do not quench the spirit. It's like a garden hose. There's a garden hose shooting water. As soon as you kink the hose and squeeze it, you stop the flow of what's coming through the hose. 
You stop the hose from pouring out what the hose is trying to pour out. And when we actually worry, we, we strangle the hose. So what the Holy Spirit's trying to do can't be done because of our worry. Because we block, we strangle off what he's trying to do. Are you guys here? I just wrote this the other night because I was reading in Greek, Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is one our favorite verse. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We love this verse. But I was reading it in the Greek, and I wrote all this stuff down. Like, here's what you could translate this verse to mean. Come to me, all you who are exhausted from being overloaded with the burdensome requirements of the Mosaic law or religion. Come to me, all you who are exhausted from being overloaded with the burdensome requirements of religion and with the consciousness of sin, which has caused you spiritual anxiety. This is the Seth translation. This is all Greek. If you just read, like, tap on the button in the blue letter Bible about the Greek word, it opens up all this other stuff. And you're like, wow, man, rest is a really powerful thing. And then he says, and I will refresh you with the release from sin so you're no longer stirred with its seductions. Dude, come on, Jesus, that's a good verse. Thank you, Jesus, lifting my load. Man. Here's what's awesome. The, the New Testament was written in Greek, but Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic, Hebrew. When he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Hebrew has a different word for rest than the Greek language. The word rest, one of the words for rest in Hebrew is Noah. Noah, the guy. Noah, right? So this is where some people get things mixed up. Some people think rest is lazy. Noah was the person of rest, the man of rest. Noah was Mr. Rest himself. Hey, what's your name? Rest. Hey, who are you? Rest. You know, identity names in the Bible actually give identity, reveal identity, and reveal what people would do. Like People lived out who they believed they were. So Noah is the person of rest. And how many of you know, God gave Noah the biggest job the earth had ever seen. The most work of anyone on earth was given to the man who knew how to rest. The man who came to Jesus, the man who, who, who was rest got given the biggest job. So rest is not lazy. Rest is not not working. Rest is just doing whatever God gives you. You only, get the, you only get the work of God. You only get the assignment of God when you rest. So Jesus isn't just saying, come to me and I'll let you be lazy. Come to me and I'll let you chill out. Come to me and I'll let you relax. Come to me and I'll lift the burden. He's like, come to me and I'm going to give you the very thing you need so I can give you my work for your life, my job for your life. What I have for you does not come by your work, your striving, your stuff. It comes when you come to me and let me give you rest. And when I give you rest, now you're in position for me to give you your calling, what I have for you to do, what I've called you for, what I've said for you. I only can give it to you when you rest. 
I can't give it to you when you're all busy, all upset, all worked up. I can't give it to you here. I can't give you what you're supposed to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, Stop worrying about what you're supposed to do, and then I can give it to you. Stop strangling me trying to give it to you by worrying about me giving it to you. Oh, man, that's a good word. The word... The word rest in Hebrew actually means to take breath. Look, I live in Los Angeles. There are so many days I am driving in Los Angeles traffic, and I'm like, wow, I am not breathing. (laughs) Like, whoa, oh. No, just breathe, Seth, breathe. Get out of stress and into rest. Look, if worry can stop us from breathing, breathing can stop us from worrying. Sometimes this stuff gets so practical. God's like, hey, Jesus is like, hey, come to me and I'll give you your breath back. <laughs> I'll give you the ability to breathe. You look, think about this. When Jesus released the Holy Spirit for the first time, he goes, hey, guys, <laughs> receive the Holy Spirit. And what's he do? Then he gives them their job. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they're retained. He gives them the biggest job of all, the work of the Holy Spirit. Forgive. Release forgiveness over all these people. Because if you release it, they get it. Most of the church is trying to repent for the sins of the city that they live in rather than release the forgiveness from the kingdom they live in. Where, what's Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's saying, this is what he did. He's like, rest, job. Holy Spirit, work. Holy Spirit, assignment. Rest, purpose. Rest, calling. You know what else he said there? As the Father sent me, so I send you. You only get sent by God when you receive his breath, when you rest. When you're not worried, when you're not stressed, when you're not all concerned, when you're at rest. He gives you his job. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to leave and go to my Father. I want to give someone my job. First, you got to let me give you my breath. First, you got to let me give you my, my spirit. First, you got to receive my spirit. And when you receive my spirit, you get, you rest. And then I give you my job. We, sometimes we don't realize, like, worry will kill you. <laughs> worry will kill you. Hello. Look at this verse. Oh, come on, Jesus. I feel like I could preach on this forever. I have a lot of notes. I'm just trying to give you. I know we can let the kids come in, talk to them about not worrying. Then they can teach you. They can teach us. 
I'm going to be totally honest with you. So my wife and I, February 1st, we moved out of our house. We loaded up the whole U-Haul. We felt like God told us this, the house we were in was a one-year house. So I hate to move, but we are moving because I'm like, oh, Lord, gosh, help me. I don't want to move. But we unload all of our stuff into this U-Haul, and then it's raining in the U-Haul, and the U- on the U-Haul, the U-Haul's leaking on all my books. So then U-Haul's like, well, we don't have another truck. I'm like, it's leaking on my books. That's how I pay rent. I'm just getting frustrated, and I'm getting stressed, right? And I'm, I'm, finally, we get it all sorted, and we move out. And we had put in an application for a house that we felt like the Lord told us to get. So we put in the application like days and days before, but we haven't heard anything. So we're like, Lord, we're moving out. We don't have a house. We have three kids, three dogs, one horse, two cows. We don't have a house. <laughs> Come on. Moving's horrible when you don't have two cows, one horse, and three dogs. Are you with me? Moving's really horrible when you have all that. So we move out. We have all our stuff packed. We have nowhere to go. So we just park our U-Haul at a person's house, and we go spend the night at our nanny's, and we're like, Lord, you got to do something. Like, we're supposed to go on vacation on the 3rd. We, we don't have a home. Our kids are in school. They're going to get out of school. And we're like, and I am getting so stressed out. Honestly, I'm just going to be honest. Like, come on, I'm preaching this because I learned this. <laughs> just like I'm, God's helping me right now. And I'm like, my wife and I are driving to lunch, and she, I'm like, Lauren, I'm not doing good. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm going to break down. Like, Lauren, I'm really not doing well. My wife is Lauren. Lauren, I'm not doing well. She's like, let's just go to lunch and pray. While we're at lunch, my friends start texting, and they say, that's it. We're going to declare that this house opens up, and they call you. We're going to declare that it happens right now. So I have, like, four friends all declaring, this thing's going to happen. You're going to get the house. You're going to leave lunch and go move into your house. Like, oh, man. Because it was either move into the house or put everything in a storage unit and go on vacation and try to figure out another house when we get back. I'm like, oh, man. And so... My friends are declaring. Another friend texts me from some other state, and she said, I just felt something shift in the spirit. Get ready. I'm like, okay. And while this this is all happening in two minutes, while this is happening, in my heart I go, you know what? Whatever. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to strangle. I'm not going to block God. I'm not going to hinder what God's trying to do. I'm going to just surrender, and I'm going to give up. And if we have to move into a storage unit, okay, I'm fine to move into a storage unit, whatever. And I settle down, and as soon as I settle down, our friends are declaring that it's going to happen. Our other friends saying, something just shifted in the spirit. I'm like, yeah, that was me. I just shifted in the spirit. And then, and then, we, get the, and then we get the phone call. You got the house. So we go. The interesting, thing, the interesting thing for me was like, man, I was watching my kids the whole time. My kids were never worried at all. You know why? They trusted their dad and mom. I was worried. My kids were not. I'm like, wow, Lord, I need to learn from my kids. I really need to learn from my kids. Let me show you one more thing about worry. I don't know. Then we're going to have some fun. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, starting at verse 5. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility because God resists the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. So he's like, hey, this is kind of important because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You either have God giving you grace or resisting you. This is the options here. God's like, or grace, ability, favor, what you can't earn, what you can't deserve, what you can't do. Here, go do what you can't do. He resists the proud but gives all of that to the humble. Then it says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So he's like, hey, this humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Then he says, then he teaches us how to be humble. He teaches us how to humble ourselves. This is one thought. Humble yourself. God, God doesn't want to resist you. God, I'm trying to teach you how to not get God to resist you. Humble yourselves. Now let me tell you how to humble yourselves. Here's how you humble yourselves. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The true humility is recognized by a person who's not stressed, not worried, not concerned, not full of care, not full of anxiety. A person who's truly humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God has cast all their cares on him. That means worry is pride. If carefree, if carefree is humility, worry is pride. Worry gets God to resist us. Casting all our cares on Him receives, gets grace. Cast, look, this, the beautiful thing about the Bible, people don't realize this. Whenever God tells you something like cast all your cares upon Him, He's telling us it's possible. It's possible to have zero cares. Like, I don't care. <laughs> not in a bad way, in the good way. I'm not stressed. I'm not full of anxiety. I'm not full of anxiety because I'm letting him handle it. Look, the world doesn't need a bunch of stressed out Christians who God is resisting. They need to see, they need to see like, just carefree, light. Why don't you worry? Here, I'm going to tell you. Why don't you have anxiety? Why don't you, why don't you care about all the bad stuff happening? It's like, you don't even care. Why do you have no cares? No, I do care. That's why I have no care. Why, why do you have no worry? Bethel Austin, why do you have no worry? Why do you have no stress? Why are your people so not stressed? Here's why. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Look, the secret to a carefree life is to recognize I'm cared for. Oh, he loves you too much to let you carry around stuff that he wants to handle. Look, if we're carrying around stress, we don't realize how much he loves us. If we're carrying around worry, we don't realize the reason my kid wasn't worrying because he knew daddy loves him. And I'm over here all worried because I'm wondering, hey, Papa, what's happening here? Please. He's like, listen, just stop worrying. I got you. 
wow, we're about to call the storage unit. We're about to call the storage unit. Like, we just need like some 26-foot storage unit so we can dump all our stuff in there because we're homeless. And instead of us calling the storage unit, the, ho- the, the, the company calls us, you got it, the house. Wow. This is all we need right here. Look, this is the secret. He cares for us. Then it says this, be sober. Look, this is what's crazy. In the spirit, sobriety is, is t- carefree. So like, this is God's sobriety. Hey, I don't worry. I'm not stressed. I'm not anxious. That's what God calls sobriety. And we, to us, it looks drunk. We're like, man, that person's totally drunk. It's like they have no worries in the world, no cares in the world. Look at them flopping around, rolling around. Look at how lighthearted they are. Look at how free they are. Wow, they're so drunk. And God's like, no, worry is drunk. That is sober. That is sober. You are only sober when you're not worried. When you're bought, so many people are just like drunk with worry. Whoa, man. Oh. Listen, look at this. This is all the same thought. Be sober. Be carefree. Be worry free because your adversary, the, then it's, well, then it says, be sober, be vigilant. Like, be on guard to remain cared for and carefree. Watch very carefully that no worries get in here, that nothing gets in here. Be on guard against worry. Be vigilant against worry. Do not let it in. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We love to quote these verses. We love to say this stuff. It's all in the context of anxiety, stress, and worry. And if the devil's roaming around looking for people he may devour, that means there are people he may not devour. And he's looking around, he's like, oh, I can't get Eddie. He won't worry. I can't eat him. I can't devour his life. He won't worry. He won't get stressed. He won't get anxious. I can't eat that guy. Oh, man, Caleb, I just want to eat you for lunch, and I can't. You have nothing going on that I can grab onto, that I can attack. You have nothing that I can attack. The devil's like, who's worrying? Who's worrying? I want to find out who's worrying. And he's like, rah, are you going to worry? Because if you worry, I'm going to eat you. And you're like, nope, not going to worry. And he's like, oh, dude. Can't eat you guys. I can't gobble your life up. I can't gobble you up. I just have to leave that family alone because they just simply refuse to worry because they know God cares for them. The care of God, the love of God, the, oh, I love you, Papa. if If I love you, you love me, and then you manifest yourself to me, and I just hang out in the manifest presence of God where there's no stress, where there's no worry. I just hang out with you because I let you have it. I give it all to you, and the devil's like, man, I can't even go in there. Shoot, I can't go in there. Look, then the next verse says, resist him. 
How do you resist the devil? Resist worry. This is all one thought. Wow. This is really good. I'm going to show you just one more thing. Wow. Proverbs 20. All right, so the devil goes about like a... Okay, you're still here. The devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 2. Here's what it says. The wrath of the king, the wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. The anger, the punishment, the wrath, the wrath of a king. Who's the real king? Who's the real lion? Jesus. Jesus is King Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the real lion, and he's the real king. But the devil goes about like a roaring lion, acting like Jesus. Watch this. He's acting like Jesus. Why? Because all along, he just wanted to be like God. That's the whole point. I want to be like God. God's like, nope. I'm going to make people like me just to mess with you. Here's what, here's, look. The devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This says the wrath of the king is like the roaring of a lion. So when the devil comes at you like a roaring lion, you know what he's trying to get you to think. God's mad. God's angry. God's upset. All those things you used to do before, God's really mad at you. And if you think God is mad at you, upset at you, going to punish you, going to have wrath on you because of things you've done, because of things you've worried about, been concerned about, if you think God's angry at you, then guess what? You allow the devil to devour your life and you think it's God. See, here's what's so interesting about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and then God comes walking in the garden exactly like he always did, and they heard God walking in the garden the same way he did every single day, but now they hide. They used to run to him. Now they're running from him. Let me just tell you, God didn't change. They did. They weren't hearing God according to what God was saying about God's sound. They didn't hear God's sound clearly. They heard God the way they were, not the way God was. They're the ones that change. And if we think God is angry at us, we think we're hearing God, and it's not him at all. It's the devil trying to devour us. If he can convince you God is mad at you, you're done, and you think it's God. And he's... <laughs> he burps. He's just going to burp. Oh, man, you're so delicious. Thank you for letting me eat, destroy your life in the name of God. The devil's like, thank you for allowing me to devour your whole world in the name of Jesus. Because I convinced you he was mad. I convinced you he was upset at things you've done. I convinced you he was angry at you for the stuff you've been through, the stuff you've, the places you've been, the things you've done. I convinced you he was angry and you allowed me to devour you. Speaking of the devil, when he, when he got Adam and Eve to sin, this is really good. We're going we're gonna to land this plane. We got nine minutes before the kids come. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, 
Can I just tell you, let me just tell you something. God's not mad. He's not grumpy. He's not angry. He's not upset. It doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you. He cares for you. He likes you. He wants you. He wants to snuggle your face. He really likes you. Come on, the Bible says, this hit me not that long ago. It hit me not that long ago. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, listen. Weak Christians don't realize how joyful God is. It's not our joy that's our strength. It's we have a joyful God that gives us strength. We have a God who's joyful. We have a God who's like, He's so joyful. That's what gives us strength. Listen, listen. When we realize God is not angry and he's joyful, we get strong. The strongest man in the Bible was Samson. You know the very first thing Samson did? Rip apart a roaring lion. It's all prophetic symbolism. It's all pictures. Samson is like... And the lion comes up roaring at him, and he goes, oh, no problem. Rips the lion apart. That's what we're supposed to do. When we realize our God is joyful, we're strong like Samson, we rip apart the roaring lion instead of the roaring lion devouring our lives because we're weak because we thought God was mad. Let me just tell you. This is core value stuff. Here's core value number one of Bethel. This church, Bethel Austin. Core value number one. God is in a good mood. He's a joyful God. Welcome to Bethel. God likes you. He enjoys you. He's so happy you're here. He's so happy you, you allow him to play God in your life and you let him take your worries, you let him take your anxieties, you let him take your cares and then he gives you grace and he gives you ability and he keeps the devil away from you. Wow. When Adam and Eve sinned, the, the Lord cursed the devil. He cursed him. In Genesis, he curses the devil and he says, you will eat dust all the days of your life. You're going to eat dust. So the devil's whole existence is to eat dust. He's looking for dust. That's, his, that's what nourishes him. That's what supplies him. Okay, parents, please break up your children and bring them back to the service so we can finish this, wrap it up and have fun. He curses the devil. Eat dust all the days of your life. And then thousands of years later, the Lord shows up to the disciples and says, I would like to wash your feet. I would like to wash off the dust from your feet. I want to wash off all the things that you've been through, all the places you've walked, all the stuff you've come out of to get to this moment. I want to wash all of the stuff off of your life. Why? So the devil has nothing on you. You know what? The most powerful thing Jesus did for his, not the most, one of the, one of the top three things <laughs> Jesus did for the disciples. Because breathing on them was like, number one, here you go. Just take the Holy Spirit. Washing their feet. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you've walked. 
I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care how far it took you to get here. I don't care what's on there. I don't care how much crap is on there. I don't care how much dust, how much nastiness. I don't care what animals you walked through their stuff and you got to this place. I don't care what you walked through to get here. I'm going to wash your feet. So the devil has nothing on you. Tonight, I felt like in worship, Jesus like, I want to wash feet. And I don't mean like, let's take off our shoes and wash feet. I mean like he wants to wash off stuff you've been through. Because if you keep, listen, if you, if you don't let Jesus wash your feet, if you don't let Jesus remove stuff you've been through, then everything you've been through stays, everywhere you go, the past comes with you. Look, and if we don't let him wash our feet, we're all, usually we're all stressed out about what, what we've been through, where we've been, what we've done. We get all stressed out about it. Now we're all stressed and we're covered in dust and, and, and the devil's trying to eat that. One of the best things you can do for the safety of your family, the protection of your family, the protection of your future, the guarantee you get to walk in what God has for you is to allow Jesus to wash off where you've been. Now, come on, this church is only six months old, so that means all of you barely even been here. You've barely even been here. That means you've all been somewhere else. That means you've all been through other ministries. You've all been through other churches. You've all been under other leadership. You've, some of you have never even been to church before this one. You've all been through sin. You've all been through sickness. You've all been through trials. You've all been through pain. You've all been through stuff. We've all been through stuff. All, none of us are immune to it. We've all been through a bunch of stuff. We've all been there. And then you come here. And he's like, hey, you know what? I want to wash your feet. Because where I'm trying to take you, you can't bring where you've been. Where I want to take you, you can't bring that. Because if you bring that, someone else comes with you after you. If you let me wash your feet, then you go on into what God has for you without what the past. And the devil's like hanging out in the past. And he, can't, he doesn't even come over here. There's nothing for him to get. There's nothing for you to worry about. There's nothing for you to stress about. There's nothing for you to be anxious about because you know he cares for you because he washed your feet. He cares so much. Let me wash your feet. I care so much. Let me wash your feet so you can be carefree, so you don't have to worry. You want to play? You can play. I don't know. Oh, you know why? Look at this. Jesus says, you remember this verse? Jesus says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is huge. This is really important. This is really matters. This, really, this verse really matters. He wants to wash your feet so, this, so Austin can go, Wow, you have beautiful feet. Wow, you have, you're carrying a gospel of peace. Let me... I just have to read this whole little verse, this whole part to you. Verse 14. How shall, and we're going to put it in Austin's context. How shall Austin call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall Austin believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall Austin hear without a preacher? 
And how shall you preach unless you are sent? This is how you know you're sent to Austin. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Our message to Austin is glad tidings of good things. God has peace with you. God has peace with me because of Jesus. God makes peace with us, and then we preach his peace to them. And they look at our feet and go, wow, those feet are beautiful. How'd you get such beautiful feet? I'd love to introduce you to the one that washes off all your stuff. It washes off everywhere you've been. This is what he's sending us to do. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com.